On this episode of Athletic Training Chat, we have Megan Johnson, who was a previous guest of ours when we talked about her dual role as both a certified athletic trainer while she was still finishing up her collegiate softball experience. So that was a very interesting episode. We talked a lot about her injury and how that really impacted her mental health, which is what we really talk about in this episode. We really focus on uh, what she has now finished up in her master's degree, which has allowed her to get into some counseling and how she is applying that in her role, not only as a secondary school athletic trainer, but also doing some counseling outside of that. So needless to say, she is very busy. A great uh, episode. She is also included, which we'll link in the show notes, a link to her mental health screening that she developed so please check that out as always we are powered by mueller sports medicine if you go into nata i know they got a ton to share with you there we've seen a few sneak peeks of things it's gonna be pretty great and as always they just love to talk to you and athletic trainers and really just get an idea of what's out there and what they can do to make things better and we also thank them for helping sponsor our throw a lifeline program we're getting very close to getting that set to get a donation out there and we can't wait to do that just from the ad revenue so thank you for listening to those um as much as we hope maybe you just skip over them but without further ado please enjoy this episode episode of athletic training chat uh we are on with meg johnson who we are doing a follow-up with we talked uh as we were just saying a couple years ago uh, i was actually episode 80 uh this is back when she was still finishing up her collegiate athletic career but also able to practice and it was just kind of a unique uh story there so that's how we initially connected but then a lot has happened in that time uh and we were just talking again off air with graduation coming up this weekend. So we'll get into all of that, but really we're going to focus on mental health and athletics, some mental health screening things, some projects that she's been working on. And we will kind of get into all that in a minute, but I want to turn it over to you to just fill in kind of your what's happened in this last couple of years. And then we'll jump into it. Yeah, of course. So Yeah, it's been a little bit since last time I was on. And I think last time I was on, I wasn't quite settled into a job yet. So I was doing some per diem work, but nothing, you know, too crazy. But um, I mean, you were playing softball full time. So, you know, hours. That is definitely very true. And funny enough, last year was my last year. So last year was my sixth year of eligibility, final year, senior season. And I actually landed the job that I'm currently at in fall of last year. So I went through the entire year playing softball full-time, working nearly full-time, and just trying to balance those two things. And on top of that, I was going to grad school for clinical counseling. So on top of playing softball, having a full-time job, And then I had an internship for clinical counseling. So I was seeing tons of clients on top of that, trying to meet all my internship hours. So definitely very busy. Um, Life does feel a little bit lighter now that softball is not in the mix, but I still coach in my free time too. So it's still there, but um, it it definitely was a busy last couple of years. Uh, 
lots on my plate, really hard to manage at times, but um, definitely a really unique experience just to kind of catapult off of our last conversation. I don't think I've met anybody else that had like a full-time job in a school that was also a college athlete. And my workplace was very understanding and really easy to work with about it. So lots of subs, lots of like rotating per diem athletic trainers trying to keep the athletic training room in check and also focus on enjoying my victory lap. So it's kind of what I've been up to the last couple of years and just finished up um, my internship. So I stayed with the same place. I stayed at a little private practice that does sport and clinical counseling. Um, just finished up with them as an intern last week or so. And now I'm signing my contract to work with them full-time as a clinician. So really excited to kind of do both things again here, but yeah. So you'll be working with them full-time plus working at the secondary school? Yes. So it is really nice. because That was going to be my next question. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I get to make like my own hours and everything there. So I pretty much see my clients on like weekends and nights when I get off of work here. So yeah. uh, definitely a loaded schedule for sure. But um, they're, they're really cool and really understanding about it because they know that this is my first true love is athletic training. So, you know, they completely understand that. They see a lot of value in that. And then I get to see my own clients, schedule my own books and do all of that on my own time. So it's been really cool. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. Well, that kind of all leads into the first question I had for you is, you know, going back to being an athlete, you know, mm -hmm. and having that aspect and now, you know, at one point working as, you know, as an AT while being an athlete. And now I say this loosely, just in quotes, being, you know, an AT, but adding on the second one, yeah. how does this bring a unique perspective from you to the topic of mental health as it particularly pertains to athletes? Right. Yeah. I, I think we talked about this a little bit um, last time we met, but my, uh, college athletics experience was anything but ordinary. Um, I would say in my junior year, I had brain and spinal surgery. So that sidelined me for an entire year and, and really kind of turned my life in general upside down. You know, I was a division three athlete. So academics were a huge workload doing the athletic training, like internships and all of that rotation hours. It was really busy and really, really difficult. And in my young life, I really hadn't gone through anything super traumatic or serious really up until that point. And I think my own mental health really suffered in that. And I think I realized that, you know, there's not a lot of resources out there. And I knew that other people felt the same way as I did. And this was even only a couple of years ago. And the landscape has even changed so much in the last couple of years. But, you know, really early on, like in my collegiate experience, I was like, I know other people feel the same way that I do. I'm really depressed. I'm really anxious. Like, I was working um, at a division one football rotation and I could not leave my dorm room without like throwing up every morning. Cause I was so oh. anxious and just so, yeah, it was, it was really brutal. And um, I remember getting what was a compliment, but I look in hindsight, like it's probably not a great thing about my ability to compartmentalize and walk into the athletic training room, like nothing's happening. And sure. that's what work is all about. And I think that's really the message I was getting sent as an athlete too, just in general. And, you know, I sometimes catch myself as a coach too, saying like, leave everything off the field. But when your entire identity is really being an athlete, I played softball since I was four years old. I played it until I was 24. So it really took up a big piece of my life. And I kind of realized like in these many worlds that I was in, the overall message and theme was like, put your head down and work through it. And yeah. 
that's really kind of the unfortunate way to live your life when you're struggling with your mental health um, and really kind of struggling in silence. So, you know, people might've known how I was feeling or that what I was going through was kind of unique and uncomfortable, but I don't really think people understood the degree to which I was suffering. So I, I really think my experience first and foremost as an athlete and kind of being sent these messages my entire life that like, leave it all off the field. You're coming here to play softball. You're coming here to play soccer or basketball or whatever it is, but leave it all off because nothing else matters when you're out there. And I found that it was really, really hard to do that. And really just, I think it prolonged my experience and let it kind of be easier for me to fly under the radar and just kind of, like I said, suffer on my own. So um, I think really coming into the athletic training space, I realized like my own person that I fell back on was my athletic trainer. She really was like, and my physical therapist were the people that I went to for everything. And I was like, oh my God, life sucks today. Like, I don't know who else to talk to about it. Like crying to them before therapy was even ever an option for me and, and going to them for the support. And I realized that we're in such a crucial position to identify athletes who are having these issues. And really in a lot of cases, we're one of their really only trusted adults or figures in their life that they feel like they can just say whatever and and not hold back so I definitely realized like we could leverage that experience both being an athlete as an athletic trainer and now as a clinical counselor like this piece is really important in bridging that gap so you kind of alluded to a little bit just in your story but you know d3 woefully underfunded in a lot of different ways and it varies wildly across the country you know you look at some I, I just from knowing people you um, at different places, they are actually very well funded just based on the school, um, you know, working in a state system that I did pretty well. We were very fortunate on our campus to have a ro fairly robust counseling and testing center for the campus um, that not everybody else, even within our conference in the same state system did. Uh, and then it gets into high school, which is another, you know, complete wild card, just location and resources. So what... Where do you kind of see it now or even what's kind of changed in, you know, your time from being an athlete to now kind of where you are and moving forward? Right. I honestly, I was thinking about how I was going to answer this one a little bit. And sure. I think we're moving in a positive direction. Like um, I remember seeing the NCA had posted like their greater initiative that I think it's something like every division one program in athletics now has to offer some type of psychological help or some type of um, resources within the athletics community. Um, speaking to like my own experience as a college athlete, um, our counseling center was really great and really thorough. And a lot of people that I did my grad school program with interned there, worked there, and they work really, really hard. It's really difficult, especially at a small school like that. And, you know, like you had mentioned, we don't have the funding that division one does to you know, bring on full-time staff and all that kind right. of stuff. But, um, you know, I remember going myself to try and get an appointment at the counseling center and being put on a wait list. And because I was a senior, it was kind of low priority. Like, you know, I, I wasn't having anything that I was going to be a legitimate harm to myself or someone else. So it was kind of low priority. And I ended up not getting any help because it's an, ex it's an extensive wait list. You're trying to compete with so many people. And then you add into this too, most 
clinical counselors, unless they have a specialty in sport, really don't understand the athlete perspective and the athlete life that can add these unique stressors into things. And then you get into the high school level and you're really trying to, like, and that's the space that I work in now, trying to um, balance relationship with your school counselor and everybody else here and really trying to make sure that kids don't fall through the net here but it is really difficult like it's it's really asking a lot of all of the people in these positions to kind of extend themselves beyond the work that they already do and you can't make more counselors for a space that doesn't have it or in this type of setting if the school counselor is overloaded it's really difficult to ask them to add more onto their caseload so it's definitely, I would say right now, the current state of affairs, it's it's moving in a positive direction, but I still think as a whole, especially in athletics, we're very reactive to mental health and not so much proactive. So, you know, you might have like mindfulness trainings and stuff like that, and more and more institutions are bringing in sports psychologists to talk to their programs, but it's still very reactionary measure. It's like, oh crap, now we're past the point of no return. Now let's get you the help as opposed to really implementing systems in place from the start to make sure nobody gets to that point to begin with. Absolutely. I think that's my experience I had as well. And, you know, just again, trying to do positive things, but people being overwhelmed across the whole board makes it very, very challenging. Just going back and forth, we talked about you create this creation of a mental health screening tool, which was a hot topic. Uh, when I was still working in Division Three, uh, there was one supposedly coming out. I don't haven't paid attention. Maybe it did um, at some point, but we were also looking at other ones. And then we got into the whole a much bigger conversation, which we'll kind of ask after we talk about yours specifically. So what started that? Was that part of the school project and finishing up? Um, and what makes it unique, you know, just kind of the overview. Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, to kind of mirror your point there, there's tons and tons of like, at least screening forms out there. I yep. know there's some people like taking the time to develop stuff and come up with things. Um, there's not really anything that I see being used like in a uniform sense. I definitely think different institutions implement their own things um, as far as the mental health screening form that I created. So that really came from my supervisor at my internship. So he was a longtime school counselor. He was a lacrosse coach. Um, all of his kids play sports. He's, he's one of our mental performance coaches and counselors at the private practice that I work at. And they were doing a presentation to the JAG physical therapy group in New Jersey. Yeah. And he was, I really, really want to incorporate your skill set into this. So um, kind of even bringing it back a little bit. When I went in for my first interview with them, and was like, please take me on as an intern. Like nobody's offering <laughs> internships. Like, please take me. Um, I kind of gave my elevator speech and my little pitch about why athletic trainers are important in this space. And um, it's kind of funny talking to him now. He's like, it was a no brainer. He was like working in the school setting, being a coach. He was like, my athletic trainer was like my right hand man. And they've been working on this project um, about putting mental health on the injured reserves for a very long time now. So it's something that they give a lot of talks on. It's something that they've collaborated on within our practice to kind of push out there to coaches really in this kind of preventative space. And um, he had just kind of looked to me and he was like, well, you're right in the, in the office with them. What do you see? Like what's going on? So um, I really appreciate that they allowed me to kind of give my feedback on this. And we collaborated and we put together like a mental health screening forum. And I think what makes ours unique is that I would say most physical questionnaires now ask mental health questions. They're asking if you have any type of diagnoses. They're asking sure. medicated. Do you see a counselor? Like all that kind of stuff. 
you're really allowing it up to the parents, like in my case, working in this type of setting or to the student athletes to be forthcoming in that disclosure. And not all of them are willing to share that kind of information. And that's what I think makes it really tricky, especially in your, your physical exams at the beginning of the year. Um, like I see it all the time on like our school records and stuff. We might have kids that we know have a diagnosis, but they're not sharing that on the information. So it makes it kind of difficult to keep that paper trail. So what was really important to me in developing this was asking questions that are kind of broad, but alluding to the topic of mental health. So um, I have it up in front of me right now, but um, like we do ask about diagnoses. Like, do you have one? Do you see somebody? Do you take any medication? So it asks the very straight up questions in like a not a roundabout way, right to the point. It asks the questions and it asks you to elaborate if you do have those diagnoses or if you're seeing someone or if you've ever experienced mental health um, disorders or anything like that. Where ours is a little bit different is we kind of go into like a screening or questionnaire where it's up to the athlete to answer the degree to which they experience the thing we're asking. So I know that's kind of a crappy way to put that, but we might ask questions like, I have a hard time enjoying sports or finding excitement in sports. I've lost the love of my sports. I feel like my parents add pressure to me. Things like that, that are things that athletes report to us that they experience that make this process more difficult or that add to their mental troubles. But it's not just straight up asking, do you have depression? Do you have anxiety? Do you experience the yips? Like these kind of things that we might see in counseling and psychology, but it's asking them in a way that's like, you get to kind of grade your experience. How much have mm -hmm. you this in the last two weeks how much have you experienced in this in the last couple of months so it gives us an idea of what red flags we should be looking at so really kind of identifying people that might be at higher risk people that have lost the love of their sport that feel a lot of pressure from coaches that have had injuries in the past that type of thing that might set off to us that they are at risk of experiencing some type of mental health troubles even if they don't have a diagnosis quite yet because especially in athletics diagnoses are really really stigmatizing sure and in a lot of ways, people don't want to admit that they have a diagnosis or even seek out obtaining a diagnosis. And it isn't as cut and dry as we think it is. It's not just you have anxiety, you have depression. I might be feeling these things, but I don't want to admit that I'm feeling them to a degree that is clinical. That is a DSM diagnosis. Like that's just really intimidating for athletes because they're told that it's a bad thing. So I think really kind of identifying red flags for them to grade and rate and even using this like in your beginning of the year physical exams and then experiencing injury throughout the year, that kind of thing, you can bring it back and have them keep filling it out and see if anything's changed and see what the trends are like for them at different points in the year. So that kind of goes into the next question. And this is one that we bumped up to a lot and we, it was with multiple things, but it was always this kind of philosophical question mm -hmm. of, you know, when you're implementing this screen tool, which is great because you get some ideas, um, you know where people are at, what advice do you have for ATs when they get the results? And that's where we kept running into kind of where, sorry, the counseling and testing center of like, okay, if we put them in the maybe a high risk category, can we get them over to you? And then, oh, well, you can't like force them to come over, which I, I fully understand, you know, with that. But we were just trying to come up with like, we can't just gather the data, see yeah. that there might be a problem and then not act on it. Obviously that brings with it its own problems and different things so yeah what have you as done obviously you now with kind of your new background uh, but we just were yeah, done talking about resources always aren't always apparent that you know are plentiful at every place so 
Right. How would you go or advice that you have kind of really being in the nitty gritty of it all? Right. Yeah. I would like to say it's easy, um, but it isn't. (laughs) I definitely want to acknowledge that too, because, you know, being an athletic trainer, first and foremost, it's really tough to kind of deal with these things. And a lot of this stuff is, um, I don't want to say outside of our scope of practice, but a lot of this stuff is really uncomfortable for people that don't have like the type of training and background that I have. Like if you didn't go to school for clinical counseling and you don't work in a counseling space, this is a really intimidating result that you might get back when you okay. see an athlete has scored a five on every single thing that you've asked. So, you know, one, I want to first and foremost, encourage all athletic trainers. And it's something I talk a lot about um, with my supervisors and with my colleagues in the clinical counseling space is that you are more equipped than you realize to handle the things that come to you. We already know that athletic training is very relational. We have great relationships with our athletes. We're very close to them in proximity. We know what's going on in their lives. That alone is the first step in a counseling relationship is having that therapeutic relationship. And you already have it. You have an alliance. So don't freak out when this stuff comes to you, but then it's the action steps. What comes next? What do I do about this? So I think in my own experience, it's been really helpful for me to kind of lean on the other people that might make up this care team. So um, for me, that's going to look like my school nurse. Um, That's going to look like my school counselor, our administrators, all of these people that might sit in on wellness meetings are definitely the people that I work most closely with when it comes to mental health concerns or even some of these red flags. So for me, it was really important when I came to this job to develop a relationship with our school counselor. I was like, you're, you're the one here that fills this role. And these are the things that I'm seeing and our schedules kind of misaligned. So I deal with a lot of the after school, you're here during school, like now how do we bridge these gaps? And our school nurse was really imperative in that relationship. So the three of us work very closely when it comes to like identifying kids that might be at risk, especially in athletics. And I'll just speak to that because that's the space that I'm in. But, um, I know like on the administrative side of the building, they keep track of kids that are high risk and they meet about them. And what are you seeing? And I I think it's really important, especially in our position, when you get these results to just have a candid conversation with the athlete in front of you, like, Hey, I noticed that these are the results that I'm seeing. Like, is everything okay? Do you want to talk? And just that alone might get somebody to open up. And like you said, it's not easy to force somebody to do something that they don't want to do. So you can't force somebody to get therapy or you can't force somebody to seek out counseling if they're not ready for it. But just that identification and letting them know like, hey, I I noticed this might be a problem for you and I see it whenever you're ready to talk, come to me. It's also going to be really important that we kind of identify the the big scary topic that nobody wants to address, but making sure that they're not going to be a harm to themselves or to somebody else. So really in the counseling space, they definitely push to just ask straight up, just ask, like, do you have suicidal thoughts? Uh-huh. Do you have, like these considerations? Do you have a plan? That kind of stuff. Um, it's really creating a safety net for them and really identifying things that might be going on. Um, you can't really be afraid to ask those questions as uncomfortable as it might be. But if you are seeing those things and that's what the results are showing on a screening or something like that, to ask gives you one, the comfort that you actually know the answer. And most people will be pretty forthcoming about it when you ask them, especially if you're a trusted person in their life. But um, I I think from there too, um, you know, not going to the extreme of it, but 
also having in your back pocket resources in the area. So you might not have a sports psychologist or a counselor writing your building, but knowing what's in the area, doing some outreach to them. And I know it's adding another thing to the athletic trainer's plate, but putting your name out there so that people are familiar with you. I know that's really important for me with the clients that I see, especially the ones that have injuries that are long-term and all that kind of stuff. Like, hey, do you want to include your athletic trainer on your HIPAA release? Do you want me to talk to them about what's going on or what they can be to help you in this space? So really getting familiar with those resources outside of your school. But I think first and foremost, it kind of comes with finding your resources inside of school, your school counselor, your school nurse, they're going to be your two best friends in this situation so that you can bounce ideas off of them and, and you can really rely on them if you're seeing something. Yeah, we did an episode with uh, Dr. Mark Cole, who gave a talk at our Wisconsin Athletic Trainers Association two years ago. It was embracing the awkward and it was exactly around that. Like we had to repeat several times during the, talk yeah. you know asking the, que uh, the question you know are you going to hurt yourself right. that type of thing so that was very interesting uh one kind of you know detailed kind of nuanced question being in a secondary school yeah does the parent with working with minors in almost all cases does that bring in a whole new level of like yes talking mm -hmm. to the student athlete but then taking it to that next level because they are a minor or walking that fine line because yeah. you know, maybe they don't want mom and dad to know about stuff. So uh, anything that you've come across there? Yes, definitely. So, um, so obviously in this setting, it's really going to come down to scope of practice. So me being an athletic trainer here, there are different rules that I have to abide by, um, in the counseling space, it, at least in Pennsylvania, um, the age that you have autonomy over your mental health care is 14. So I have a okay. lot of young clients. Yeah. So we maintain what's called a zone of privacy where, um, and it's, I could go off of like verbatim exactly what like my informed consent says, but it, it's really just kind of, you know, you maintain a zone of privacy that you're not going to tell mom and dad every single thing that comes out of the client's mouth, especially 14 and up. Um, and even minors under the age of 14, their parents do have a right to know like what's going on. And typically I will give parents an update, but they do maintain the right to privacy in that space. So that's speaking from a counselor's perspective. And it gets very tricky when you work as an athletic trainer in a school setting is that, yeah. you know, that's a little bit different. And typically I would say, um, you know, it is completely fair to give parents a heads up of what might be happening. You don't have to disclose every single thing that Susie came in and told you in the athletic training room, but if they are a harm to themselves or to somebody else, that's absolutely fair to let the parents know or go through yeah. your chain of command with what the school is doing. As far as other mental health concerns that you might be doing, I think it's totally, or you might be seeing, I think it's totally appropriate to give parents a heads up, especially if they're completely unfamiliar. Um, some kids will say, I don't want them to know anything, but I definitely think it's fair to say, hey, there's some things that I'm personally seeing that I think might be of concern and that you might want to be aware of. So it's a really tricky conversation. Sometimes people don't respond well to that. It depends on how mental health is viewed in their family as well. But, um, you know, you don't necessarily have to disclose every single thing that a student athlete is saying to you, to their parent in order to raise the concern, if that makes sense. So you can say oh, these yeah. are seeing and keep it kind of matter of fact um, and not just you know Susie came in here and told me that she's having the worst day ever and you suck and she hates you like all that kind of stuff you know and that's the kind of stuff athletes might say in here but you know to explain to their parents like 
you know, I, I see Susie's got a lot on her plate. She's, she's got school practice. I know she's doing travel ball. Like I know on top of that, she's a high achiever in academics. And I'm just a little bit concerned to her. Um, in that case too, I'd reach out to the school counselor and loop them into that conversation and see how they want to proceed with the parents. And I would say in this type of setting, that's absolutely what I do. I'll, I'll lean on our school counselor and say, you know, how do you want to proceed from here? So she'll definitely take the directive on that. But in the counseling space at, at 14, that zone of privacy is definitely intact. And, and they really have the right to turn around to me and say, I don't want my parents involved in this at all. I don't care if they're paying the bill, like don't tell them anything. And they absolutely mm -hmm. have to do that. So. Interesting. Thank you for the insight on that. Um, know your, know your practice act and laws. People. Yes. It's, it's important. Yes. If someone wanted to get started with something like this, whether implementing what you have created, uh, which if you'd be so kind to share it, we'd happily link it up for people to find, yeah, um, or anything else that they come across, what best practices or things would you recommend in getting that started uh, right. to try and you know maybe avoid a few of the hurdles or hiccups um, along the way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say first and foremost, consult the NATA um, and their um, statements on all this kind of stuff. That's really what I did when I was incorporating these things. Um, I looked at the NATA and I also looked at the American Counseling Association to see what their recommendations were. So NATA does have some really great resources um, that they will kind of help you develop like a mental health EAP, all of that kind of stuff if you don't already have it. So I would definitely start there first, especially for ATs, because that's going to be your comfort zone. That's going to speak your language. It's not going to feel super intimidating. Like that's all you. Um, I would say if you're trying to dive into kind of some deeper research or maybe even kind of starting something from scratch, um, it was really important for me to kind of consult the counselors that I work with and say, you know, from your perspective, what's appropriate for me to put on here? Like, what do you think? And that was kind of able to help me balance, like what's appropriate in my practice as an athletic trainer versus where's my counseling brain going? And mm -hmm. so you kind of have to hold back a little bit because you're like, I want to jump all the way on this, but I know in this setting I can't. So then it comes down to consulting. And I'm going to keep saying this, our school nurse, our school counselor. Yeah, yeah. People. So it really is a team effort. Um, there's tons of great resources. And honestly, what kind of sparked my interest in this, um, I can't remember if I talked about this last time, but I read the book, What Made Maddie Run. Yeah. Um, back in my first year of grad school. And I was familiar with the story, but I remember being just kind of struck by like a paragraph where they talked about athletic trainers and the sports medicine staff implementing these preventative measures or these um, proactive measures to mental health. And I was like, huh, I think that's a really great thing. I then read, um, is actually written by a girl that I coach. Her mom's a sports psychologist, uh, Psyche of the Injured Athlete. And she had talked about like a questionnaire that she had kind of come up with and what that might look like. And from a counselor's perspective, what is an AT's role in this? Or what is a PT's role in this? And, and what do you serve here? So I definitely think it's one understanding, like you said, kind of our practice acts and, and our scope of practice. What are we actually able to do in this setting? And then from there, consulting the professionals that they're the experts at this too. So talking to your counselors is going to be a really, really big thing or reaching out to counselors in the community and especially sports specific counselors, sports psychologists, mental performance consultants, people that work in that type of field will definitely be able to help steer you in the right direction of what should I be looking for from an athlete's perspective. It can definitely get a little bit tough just consulting general counselors or clinical counselors, because like I said before, they might not be as familiar with the unique struggles of athletics, but definitely reaching out in your community. And I think that kind of helps build that relationship too. So then you have a resource to go to uh -huh. if you have 
game need that kind of thing so awesome yeah anything that we haven't covered that's kind of wrapped up all the major questions that we had then ahead of time but anything else that we didn't cover that you wanted to touch on right um you know i actually think too in this conversation um and, and this might be a little bit of a reactive approach here, but um, I also wanted to talk a little bit about injury psychology and that kind of stuff, yeah. uh, at least the fear of re-injury. Um, and I was just kind of thinking about it because I have an athlete um, who I'm working with right now to get back to running, who she's been out for like months and months and months. And the other day she was talking to me about how scared she was to get back. And then when she did it, she was like, oh, that was amazing. I, I can't wait to keep doing this. But um, it's a question that I get asked a lot by the counselors that I work with is, okay, from an AT sports medicine perspective, how appropriate is it for us to push through like these fears of re-injury because it is so crucial in keeping ourselves healthy. Um, and it's definitely something that we can consider in our relationships with our athletes um, and kind of picking like a place to start here, I guess. I, I think one of the biggest things that I hear from other athletic trainers is, you know, I just have a kid that is terrified to go back out there after a major injury or a minor injury or whatever the case may be, but they're not playing the same. They're scared. They don't want to go back out there or they want to go back out there and, and they just can't get through that hurdle. Um, a lot of the clients that I see at at my counseling job, it's the same thing. I've dealt with a lot of athletes that they're like, I tore my ACL and I'm two years out and I, I still can't play the same way that I could before. And I think as athletic trainers, it's probably the biggest thing we'll see when it comes to like a mental health perspective and kind of a performance anxiety perspective. Um, and I think it's just really important for us to consider, um, you know, and lean into our relationship with our athletes. So um, kind of the way that I deal with this now that I have some counseling background, because it's definitely something that scared me before, is I kind of lean on some like behavioral skills and, and techniques here and a lot of like relaxation and mindfulness techniques. Mm -hmm. So um, coming back from an injury is very similar to performance anxiety in general. It can definitely be a little bit elevated because it's so emotional for our athletes returning from injury, but, um, it's very similar to performance anxiety coming back. And, um, I see lots and lots of talk about the pain scale and I know it's a little bit controversial, but, um, I've really found a way to kind of use the pain scale that isn't super rigid. And I think I have like the, you know, the bees and the bears and stuff like back here, like yeah. that pain but that's not how I actually use it. Um, I keep pain scale very subjective and I think it gives me a lot of feedback about the athletes in front of me. So, sure. you know, I kind of keep it to like, from your perspective, what does this feel like? Zero is no pain at all for you. And 10 is the worst pain you have ever felt in your life. Yep. Like I don't, I don't give them specific examples of what a six actually feels like because sure. that's going to be different for everybody. And I'm very careful not to invalidate like my athletes experience, but um, I, I really kind of use that to my advantage, especially coming back from injury, because most athletes can and will push through a lot of things. And yeah. on a normal basis, they're kind of pushing themselves to their wits end anyway. They're going to, at least at the high school setting, they've got two hours of high school practice and they go to three hours of club. And on the weekends, they're doing these massive, you know, all the things that are probably not great for our bodies. But another topic for another day. Yes, exactly. But they're, they're pushing to these great lengths on normal basis, but injury, because it's so sensitive, so emotional, it really impacts our athletic identity to be taken away from the field or our team or whatever. We kind of experience that pain a little bit more. So not to invalidate their pain, but, you know, I, I might say to an athlete, um, you know, 
you have shin splints that you typically run through like on a normal basis. What does that feel like? They might say, oh, I feel very comfortable running through a four out of my pain scale every single day on a normal basis. Now I've injured my knee. And what does that pain feel like? It's at a four and you run at a four with your shin splints most of the time. So it's kind of, I would say <laughs> like you're, you're kind of altering their thought about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of getting them to look at it from a different perspective. It doesn't feel so scary when you compare it to other things that you've been through. But when you look at it by itself, you might be like, oh, I hurt my knee. I've never hurt my knee before. And now it's at a four, but I run through pain. That's a four every day. Or I, I run through discomfort. That's a, a four every day. Sure. Uh, and, and I just kind of use that as like a scale to kind of get them thinking about it maybe a little bit differently. And, and of course, also, you know, if you're experiencing like these things, sharp pain, or, you know, you really like, don't want to push through this. Like I will never make a kid do anything like that, that they don't want to do. And I always kind of explain like that, you know, our emotions and our like emotional arousal level causes us to feel pain at higher levels. So if I do have someone that comes in and they're like, you know, I'm really at a six today, we might do some relaxation training. We might do diaphragmatic breathing or progressive muscle relaxation relaxation or things like that, that I do in the counseling clinic. And we might do that in here in the athletic training room and then check back in. Well, where's your pain scale at now? Has it changed at all? And a lot of times you'll notice the pain will go down once they've kind of calmed down a little bit. And then we just kind of use those skills because it it really is a performance anxiety thing for a lot of people. It's that fear of getting re-injured and our body does not interpret differently. Like performance anxiety or being in a game or coming back from injury different than like we might experience getting chased by a bear or something like that. So it's really one of the hallmarks of like mental performance consulting and sports psychology is really these behavioral techniques of how do we get in check with like our arousal levels? How do we increase our relaxation or increase like our autonomic nervous system and that kind of stuff to bring us back down? Like, so it's definitely something that I've used a lot and I definitely encourage other athletic trainers to get kind of familiar with some of that stuff or consult like a counselor or, you know, there's tons and tons of YouTube videos about like progressive muscle relaxation, meditation, all that kind of stuff. Those are all counseling topics, but they're all things that we can absolutely incorporate into our practice. So um, I definitely think on a day-to-day basis too, not just kind of the big screening stuff, like those Mm -hmm. are things taken into my practice and and used and stuff that my athletes have given me a lot of great feedback on like you know yeah my first game back was a little bit easier because I took time to do some deep breathing on the sidelines before I went back or you know I I do progressive muscle relaxation all the time now and and now I'm doing it before like I give a speech in class or something like that so it's definitely transferable skills for athletes and things also athletic trainers are it's totally appropriate for us to do so I definitely wanted to throw that in there as well. Awesome. No, that's great. And thanks for all the examples uh, yeah. with that. So with that, ready to jump into the semi-modified AT chat questions? Yes, absolutely. For sure. Where do you see athletic training and mental health going in the next five to 10 years? I would say in the next five to 10 years, I definitely see athletic trainers taking more of a role and more advantage of our social emotional skill set or um, our psychosocial skill set. Um, I obviously it's been like a growing topic, but I think as the years continue to grow, um, I know of a couple other athletic trainers that are also in my position that maybe went to school for counseling because they kind of realized a need for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think right now you kind of have just like random people all over the place that kind of have an interest in this, but I don't really think there's anything kind of unifying us together in this way. Like 
these are these people with these skill sets or athletic trainers do have the capabilities to have these skill sets. And I think that in the next five to 10 years, I absolutely see, see athletic trainers and really other sports medicine professionals too, kind of, um, I don't want to say merging in because they're definitely very different spaces, but uh-huh. leaning into this counseling space and kind sure. of leaning on other mental health professionals and, and really getting more comfortable with the psychosocial aspect of things. I, I think the biggest feedback that I hear from athletic trainers about what their hesitancy is about this is, is it in my scope of practice or I never learned how to do that in school? Yeah. And yeah. So, and that's really the big kind of fear here is, well, I don't know anything about counseling. I'm not a counselor. And I think from the counseling side, I've talked to my supervisor about this a lot, is that teaching these on-the-go counseling skills from people in the counseling space back into AT, coaches, all of those types of people that are support staff to our athletes, um, we kind of teach these on-the-go counseling skills because you already have the, the foundation for it. And athletic training really does provide you with the foundation to be a good counselor. I, I think athletic training made me a great counselor or made sure. me feel comfortable in that space. And I, I really see us getting comfortable with these kind of on the go skills, like whether that's a kid that comes in and says, I'm really anxious, I don't know what to do. And instead of you just saying, I'm going to refer you to the counselor, you kind of work with them through that right then and there in the moment. That's a huge thing when it comes to mental health. And I definitely see us trending that direction for sure. I like it. Yeah. Um, what advice would you go back and give yourself as a young athletic trainer? And I'll let you set this just because it's all yeah. kind of ha- happened re- recently uh, right. when it comes to your own mental health and those of the athletes that you care for. Oh, geez. Um, for myself personally, and, you know, of course, I'm still a young athletic trainer. So these are within the last couple of years learning these skills. Um, <laughs> I would say as an athletic trainer, it's learning how to compartmentalize a little bit. And I know I said that wasn't the greatest thing earlier, in <laughs> but I think learning to leave work at work and then learning to come home and just be Megan Johnson was like the biggest advice that I could give myself, even looking back sure. at you. Um, I used to get really frustrated and really upset by things that would happen at work, whether it was frustrating parents or coaches or like a weird situation that happened with a referee. And I used to get so upset about it. And I used to come home and I would call my mom and be like, I'm so upset. This is a horrible day at work. Or I would talk to my boyfriend and be like, this is, I, I don't know what's happening. Like, no. <laughs> Yeah, I realized I'd be talking about it for hours and hours and hours, and then I wouldn't be able to sleep. And then I was just bringing all the stress home with me. The second that I stopped checking my work emails at home, I think my life changed for the better. Um, yeah, <laughs> so it's a yeah. lot easier than done. We want to be accessible to everybody at all times. It's kind of the hallmark and what we pride ourselves in. Like, it's it's really what a lot of people kind of define as their care for other people is going above and beyond themselves but I I think the best advice that I could keep giving myself is you can't fill from an empty cup so being very realistic about when I'm not 100% today I might be able to meet you at my 50% today or you know I know that when I go home I need to throw away the 25% that I was at work and then come home and just be a sister and a daughter and a dog mom and a girlfriend and all those things and just allowing myself to the space to not feel bad about that and not feel bad when I don't answer a phone call from a coach at 9am when I'm not even in my car on my way into work yet or not answering the phone call at 930 from an athlete who is like just wants to tell me about how their PT session went that day or something like that and, and really learning those kind of really boundaries with myself definitely the best thing for me personally as an athletic trainer 
And then I really feel like with my mental health and my self-care, that allowed me to be better for the athletes that I'm caring for because I'm not getting as frustrated with them and I'm not getting as frustrated with the coaches or anything like that because I'm allowing myself the space to go home and, and just let that day go. And it's kind of funny because I teach that to athletes when they're like, I have a really hard time separating my athletic identity. And then I take my bad losses home with me. And it's all I can think about for three days or, you know, my wins make me feel on top of the world for the entire week. And my losses make me feel like a horrible person. And I always tell them like, well, what are you doing to kind of turn that off at the end of the game? Like, what is your signal to yourself that the day is done? Like I can just be a kid again. And they might use like their shower at the end of the day or their meal or like their car ride home. It's like, that's my signal to myself. I'm, I'm not an athlete anymore. I'm just a person. And really implementing that for myself, I think made a world of a difference in the care that I was able to provide to not only myself, but to other people for sure. I echo that one completely. Yeah. I haven't yeah. been in it for just a little longer than you. Yeah. When that switch got made and yeah. it, it was a game changer and it ebbs and flows. I'm sure I annoyed my wife to no end uh, during COVID and dealing with some of that stuff. So um, what has been the most influential resource that you have found in your career kind of around mental health? Jeez. Um, most influential resource. Um, this might be a kind of unconventional way to answer this question, but um, I, I kind of want to answer that with like, connecting with other people that have been through the same things that I've been sure. through or um, connecting with other people that have the same passions that I do. Um, so whether that's connecting with other athletes or, um, you know, just being very willing to share my own story or connecting with athletes about theirs, I definitely think has been a massive resource to me as far as um, kind of validating that the work that I'm doing is meaningful and worthwhile. Um, so I definitely think that's been a massive resource to me. Um, and then on top of that, just being very comfortable. And I, I think I might've said this last time we talked about just like using my Twitter and like my social media and stuff to kind of connect with other people. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think, I don't really know if that answer has changed in the last couple of years. I definitely still do that. The last couple of years of grad school have been a little bit more difficult to keep up my Twitter presence and all that kind of stuff that I had before. But yeah. um, I've definitely been using and taking advantage of kind of like these networking opportunities, whether it's social media or, you know, just saying yes to an email that comes into my inbox to talk about mental health and, and talk about athletics. And I think for a long time, and, you know, I still kind of grapple with this as well as I have really bad imposter syndrome. Like I don't deserve to be here. Who am I the authority to be speaking on this stuff? Like there's other people out there that are way smarter than me and being able to like, just kind of get over that hurdle and say yes and connect with other people, whether it's like I said, on social media or anything like that um, has been a great asset to me. And then it's allowed me the opportunity to kind of connect with people like um, sports psychologists or people that were former athletes that do mental health work and things like that. Um, there's tons of great like um, nonprofit organizations and stuff that I've been able to connect with over the years, um, just about sharing stories and getting comfortable with that. Um, like things like the hidden opponent. And um, uh, there's one that just came up, the hope for athletes, that kind of stuff, sidelined USA, like really yeah. kind of getting into their stuff, doing research on like what they're about, like following along with their stories has been so instrumental for me, just kind of sticking this out and, and keeping with it for sure. You may have already kind of answered this one and the next one, but we'll go to them anyway. As an AT in your role, how do you take care of yourself? Oh, geez. Yeah. Boundaries are a big <laughs> one. <laughs> Boundaries are definitely a big one, but um, 
I think finding some type of routine and consistency, um, especially not being an athlete anymore. Um, this was a really hard transition for me this year was like learning how to function as an adult person that is not playing a college sport. So, sure. you know, as of less than a year ago, I had somebody telling me where to be, how to look and what to do at all times of the day, which is a great thing for some people and was a great thing for me for as long as it was. But then transitioning into um, adult life a little bit, learning to develop my own routines and get really comfortable not having like kind of the set schedule all of the time or like, I know I have to be at practice. And I'm going to be at practice an hour early, like that kind of thing. Um, I definitely kind of leaned into just getting really comfortable with like a two mile walk in the morning with the dog being like my workout for the day and like stuff like that. And, and learning to do things like yoga and meditation. And, um, you know, I, I don't sit still very easily, especially doing the type of work that we do, but learning to get very comfortable with that stuff, especially as a former athlete where my life was always go, go, go. There was always something like you're operating under pressure all of the time. And now it's like, I don't have that anymore. So how do I get comfortable with that? And I'd say, I do a lot of walking. I do a lot of journaling, um, meditation, yoga, all that kind of stuff um, is how I physically and like legitimately take care of myself. Um, and then of course, still kind of leaning into the athlete thing and planning out my weeks and doing all that kind of stuff, uh -huh. and, you know, but it's definitely been a switch athlete into just adult person, um, learning how to get comfortable with some things that are not as high intensity for sure. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, again, kind of maybe already an answer to this, but if you could change or eliminate one thing, you know, a common practice or a mindset around mental health in the field of athletic training, what would it be? Yeah. Um, I would definitely say kind of leaning into what I already said is, um, kind of getting a, like comfortable with that awkwardness of what this actually looks like. Yep. Uh, I, I would say for ATs, for sure. Um, stop having your response be like, I'm not trained in that because counseling is very relational, just like athletic training. It really is the biggest foundation to counseling, regardless of what therapeutic techniques you use or, or what theories you fall into. Like, I don't care if you're a CBT therapist or if you are a psychoanalytic person or anything like that. At the foundation of all of it is your relationship with your client or your relationship with your athlete in our case. So you have the first skill already and, you know, you can look back at all the research and I think I had the statistic in every single class that I was in, in grad school is that most counseling relationships and most positive outcomes are of counseling are defined by that relationship. It doesn't matter what therapeutic technique you use, the, you know, everybody uses a different one. Everybody uses def different techniques, but as long as you have that relationship, you're more likely to have a better outcome anyway. So I definitely think in AT getting comfortable with that and not really having the response of like, oh, like I, I can't do that because I didn't go to school for it. Like, of course, you don't want to do anything out of your scope. Like we can mention that a million times, but yeah. you know how to have a relationship. You know how to talk to people. Like, don't freak out when somebody comes to you and says, I'm depressed. And you're like, oh my God, what do I do next? Take a second, acknowledge that it's a little bit uncomfortable. And it's, it's totally okay to say to an athlete, you know what? I don't know what to say right now but I want to be able to help you. And I'm glad that you trusted me enough to say something. And that makes a world of a difference in people. Um, I also think, and this isn't necessarily athletic training, but really athletes um, in general or athletics in general, um, the mindset that I think I want to eliminate the most is um, 
really kind of old school coaches um, forfeiting their responsibility in this topic as well. So um, I, I definitely see a lot of people still kind of um, reducing athlete mental health as being soft or not having accountability or anything like that. And it's definitely an old school mindset. Um, a lot of the work that we'll kind of do and I, why I really like the private practice that I work at is that they do a lot of coaching coaches on what their role is in this. And I think as ATs, because we have a relationship, like a dual relationship with the athlete and the coach, this is something that we can absolutely serve in as well as, as we get comfortable with these skills is, is really encouraging coaches to take an active step in mental health, whether that's incorporating uh, mental health trainings into their regular practice routines, or whether that's just acknowledging that mental health exists. And it's not just people being soft or, you know, just acknowledging that things are different than when you played. And these are the things that athletes are experiencing. I think for a lot of people it would do them, you know, a great benefit to even just look up the statistics of what athletes are experiencing. And um, I just did my graduation cabinet had all these statistics on it. And, mm -hmm. and we're, seeing like these striking numbers that are showing us athletes are really heavily experiencing mental health concerns, whether that's um, substance use, whether that's depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, eating disorders. Um, and I, I saw a statistic that was, it really kind of stopped me in my tracks a little bit. And it was that athletes, 65% of athletes, and, and that's just what's reported, experience some type of psychological abuse at the hands of their coaches and some factor of that. So I really think um, as athletic trainers, us encouraging coaches and, and in the counseling space, us encouraging coaches to really take an active role in this as well. Don't just be a bystander in your student athletes, mental health and in their health and well-being in general. I, I will get tons and tons of emails about so-and-so's ankle sprain, but if you notice something is mentally off or you notice they're not acting like themselves or, or something's just not clicking, that has to be as open in the conversation as well. So I definitely think everybody taking a more proactive stance or even just acknowledging that it's happening and well, what do we do about it next? Like, I, I think that would be a great thing for sure. Awesome. And final question then, yeah. what does being an athletic trainer and addressing mental health mean mm -hmm. to you? Yeah. Um, I think this one tends to be a little bit personal for me. Um, and, and I would say in short, it kind of looks like, um, being the person that I needed when I was an athlete, sure. uh, and I had said, you know, I really relied on my athletic trainer. She's my saving grace. I'm still very close with her now. Um, I would trust her with my life. And she was really there for me through like the pits of it all. And I really value that relationship. And that's really all I kind of sought out to be when I started getting into mental health was that how do I be that person or how do I feel more comfortable being that person? And, you know, I, I think very early on in this, I was also that athletic trainer that was like, I'm scared when somebody comes to me and says that something's going on. Like, how do I respond to that? What do I do? And, you know, it, I think it's a very natural thing to experience in general. Like, even as a counselor, sometimes you sit there and somebody says something to you and you're like, oh crap, like, what, how, how are we going to handle this? Like, mm -hmm. and, you know, in, in counseling, we work under supervision. We, we meet with other people. We talk about our caseload and all that kind of stuff. And in AT, we don't really have that, or it's not as commonplace for, you know, us to call somebody else up and be like, oh man, like I'm, I'm dealing with all these things. Can you, can you help me kind of figure this out? And I think it's kind of twofold. One, it was to be a better provider for my athletes and to really extend myself into a space that I know we were needing more people to serve our athletes. And, and that's in mental health. And then in general too, encouraging athletic trainers, um, you know, how to be comfortable with this. How do we work through what is uncomfortable and, you know, how do we take care of ourselves and, and be the best clinicians that we can be? So I definitely think that's 
why this topic's important for me because I definitely didn't feel comfortable with it when I first started doing it. And I've definitely grown more comfortable, but I know tons and tons of other athletic trainers out there feel the same way. They're like hearing this right now and they're like, yeah, I could never do that. Like, I, I don't even know where to start. But really, I, I, I think... I think working towards that and helping other people feel comfortable with mental health in general and the uncomfortable topic is, is really what's important. So. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, if people wanted to connect with you, follow you, you mentioned social media, not as much of a presence, but kind of working your way back, yeah. where would be the best place for them to do that? Yeah, I would definitely say my Twitter, Green Megan Ham, is still the best place to reach me. I was hoping um, that was still the handle. Yes. So it hasn't changed. I definitely like to keep it unique and consistent that way. But um, Twitter is definitely the best place to reach me. Um, I am on Instagram, but um, I don't post as much athletic training stuff there. So um, that's definitely just like young adult like content. So sure. uh, but Twitter for sure is the best place to hear my thoughts and feelings and opinions just out in the void. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing the follow up. I'm glad we got to do this. Congratulations again on finishing up school and by the time this comes out, she'll have already graduated, but on the upcoming graduation. Uh, and we'll look forward to connecting again in the future. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for giving me the platform to talk about it. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you for listening to this episode of Athletic Training Chat with Megan Johnson, really focusing on making mental health matter. Uh, she's doing some great work out there. We're, we're happy to do this episode and get to hear more about what that is. Uh, it's such a huge topic, and Megan is right on the front lines doing what she can to contribute it and really make it something that is going to be powerful. So check out, again, that link in the show notes for that screening tool. Thank you again to Mueller Sports Medicine for their support, both of us and athletic trainers. Again, just by listening, you're helping us out a ton trying to get uh, this Thorough Lifeline program out to ATs that need some basic but mental health care for their patients. Uh, if you're going to NATA, we hope to see you all there in a couple weeks. And with that, we'd love to hear from you. If you want to be on the show, let us know, and we will catch you next episode.